Hey everyone, on this episode, we talk a lot about women's issues and the patriarchy in the context of the LDS Church, and that conversation might go to some places that aren't comfortable for a believing member, and we wanted to give you a little heads up that this episode might feel a little different because of that than some of our other episodes, but we think this conversation is extremely important, and we hope you stick around to listen to it. Thanks. everybody welcome to another episode of postmortem at the movies i'm dan and i'm nick and this week we're excited because we're going to be covering the movie tangled and we have a special guest on with us we would like to introduce stephanie from her channel my great and spacious world welcome to the show stephanie thanks for having me guys we are really excited to have you here why don't you go ahead and just give a quick intro about who you are, what your channel's about, and... Sounds great. So I'm Stephanie from My Great and Spacious World. I'm on the platforms TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I was Mormon for 33 years. My husband left first. The first person he told was Dan. Dan helped support him through that faith crisis and then supported both of us through a mixed faith marriage and my faith crisis, which came shortly after. So that's how I know Dan. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm going to say that you're really brave for being on TikTok. Like <laughs> that is something that I am not brave enough to get into. Nick also knows your husband because we all went to high school together. So, yep. you know, all sorts of connections. <laughs> that happens a lot in Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's world. a small world for sure. All right. So let's dig in because I think that we're probably going to have some good things to talk about. We're talking about the movie Tangled. Yeah. And I think like most episodes, we usually talk about what do we like about the movie just, or what did we think about it as a movie before we sort of make the connection to, to Mormonism. I watched this episode actually, or or this movie earlier today in preparation for this episode. And it was the second time that I've seen it. First time I saw it was like way back when it first came out. And I forgot how good this movie is. Um, I think probably in most aspects, it's better than Frozen. Um, maybe not Frozen 2. I really like Frozen 2. Yeah. But uh, I just thought that the story was great. I love the characters and the messages from the movie. Yeah, my favorite parts of the movie are definitely the songs. I thought they were well written. And uh, there's a lot of good humor in there. My kid's favorite character was the horse. Mm-hmm. Maximus. Now that's the thing is you two have a different experience than me. Cause I'm sure your kids went through like a phase of tangled at some yes, point. I've seen it many more times than you have. Yeah. <laughs> so y'all, are, I, I'll defer to y'all's expert, y'all's expertise. Yeah. There were weeks where seeing it twice was like a weekly occurrence, you know, like, cause my daughter definitely went through a tangled phase as well as all the other princesses and but yeah, I really like this movie too. I mean, I saw it when it came out in theaters and and liked it enough. I think I saw it over Thanksgiving or Christmas break or something and, and saw it with my family and then ended up 
um, taking who now my wife on a date to go see it once the semester started at BYU again, because I was like, oh, this is good enough. I didn't need to see this in theaters again. And and if BYU, a date to go see a Disney movie is pretty much like the go-to date for some people. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like it too. I, I think I like Frozen more now, but I think this is just a really solid Disney movie. Like, especially this is sort of their their big, like first leap into CGI after all their other princess movies had been hand-drawn. And so like they had a lot riding on this one and I think they hit it out of the park still though. I agree. Um, interesting tidbits that I came across. I actually did a little bit of research about this. Um, you know, this was, I think the movie they made after they did the princess and the frog. Uh-huh. And I think that the reason why that, that one didn't as, do as well as they thought it was going to do. And part of the reason was maybe because it had the word princess in the title. And so then like a lot of the boy demographic didn't want to watch it because Mm -hmm. it was about a princess. And that's part of the reason of why they called this movie Tangled. Yeah. Rather than Rapunzel. Right. Or something. My my wife talks about that all the time as far as like literature, as far as books go, that it's okay for girls to read books about boys, but it's, you know, generally thought it's not okay for boys to read girl books right and how there's kind of like a problem with that in in general today i'd agree with your wife <laughs> yeah yeah luckily that's a topic that would never have anything to do with mormonism though like gender roles <laughs> so i feel like disney movies are just super popular with mormons and I, and i just i just wondered if there's anything like growing up like was that something for you stephanie like disney princesses were they big for you or yes Yes. And I do think within Mormonism too, the idea was sold to me that uh, there is such thing as happily ever after. And all you've got to do is like, find your prince, marry him, have children. In the castle, right? Which is the temple. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Good point. And that that's where happiness lies. And that's the only place happiness lies. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's probably why it resonates so much with Mormons, especially women. Yeah. Right. I've heard lots of stories of, you know, young women lessons that were all about like sort of plan your dream wedding, mm-hmm. f- pick your prince sort of, you know, like what are the qualities you want in the prince? And, and it's like, you know, as a, as a beehive, who's like 12, 13 year olds, like starting to plan your dream wedding, which in young men, spoiler alert, never happened. <laughs> like, like what? the inverse, the inverse of that never happened. You didn't make 12 lists by time you graduated of the qualities <laughs> of your future wife, because I had my the qualities of my husband memorized by time I graduated. Mm-hmm. No, can't say that I did. We probably debated to some degree, like which Disney princess was hottest and <laughs> young men's. And, you know, it was always Jasmine because she's the immodest one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I, the message that I feel like men get a lot about their future wife is if you're a good missionary, then you'll get a hot wife. So I think that's what you guys get that we don't get. No promise of a hot husband. Right. I did hear that. And um, I remember this was not when I was on my mission, but beforehand when I was, um, I was like a priest or like, you know, getting ready for like, you know, mission prep or whatever. And I would go out with the missionaries in our ward. And like, it would be like a really, like really crappy weather and it'd be like raining or, 
kind of a miserable day. And the missionaries was like, man, our wives are going to be so hot. Like they literally were saying that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Any other thoughts, I guess, of like things entangled that feel very Mormon or like appeal to maybe the, the believing Mormon point of view? So when I first saw this movie as a Mormon and they're in the boat watching all the lanterns take off and that beautiful song comes on at last I see the light. I remember having a spiritual moment with that and being like, the light is Jesus Christ. And if everyone could see the light, they'd all be as happy as I am right now watching this movie. (laughs) So uh, I did resonate with that as a Mormon. Yeah. I can't think of anything in particular for me, like, (laughs) like, and you know, that's kind of how this podcast started is like, you know, when you're members, you look for truth wherever it is in books or movies or, and you look for like connections and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you liken it to your life, you know, and that happened a lot in Mormonism. And I'm finding it's happening a lot since I've left the church and watching movies and reading things and listening. And I, I think that this movie resonated a lot more with the experience on, you know, that second half, as opposed to when I was a believing Mormon. So Yes. And that's why I really wanted to talk about it. I mean, you come into the beginning with Rapunzel and she is feeling a little disconnect or discontent with her life. And then you see her go through this journey and the struggle between, uh, you know, wanting to move forward, but also uh, not sure like how to handle it. So you, you kind of see that like faith crisis part. And then at the end, it all like falls into place for her. And she has a lot of peace and understanding and things become more clear. And, you know, I would liken that to my experience with coming out of the church. Okay. So we open up with the movie with her in the tower. Mm -hmm. So she's going through her daily routine. She's trying to be happy, positive, and grateful towards the end of the song. You can feel that she has a bit of discontent and the song is when will my life begin? And I just super related to that because so I graduate, get married, have kids, just living my life. And, and I'm supposed to be at the happiest part of my life, all joy. And yet sometimes I'm bumping into feeling like a little stifled or a little discontent and not really able to pinpoint why I'm feeling that way. And obviously when you're feeling that way in the church, uh, a go-to is, well, maybe I'm just not being righteous enough. And that's why Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling good enough. So I remember like having that feeling, like I'm trying to be grateful, trying to do everything right, trying to be perfect, but there's this underlying feeling of discontentment, disconnect and lack. You know, mother Gothel, is telling her like, you have everything that you could ever want. There's no reason for you to be uncontent. Did you feel any of that? So I think where a lot of that came from is in the church, we're just taught that all of our joy is supposed to be in motherhood. And a lot of women, well, not every woman, I think there's Mormons that were a lot more healthy than I was, Mm -hmm. but my, in my Mormon experience, I just poured myself into motherhood and supporting my husband in a career to support our family. So my husband is still growing in his career. I'm helping all my children grow, but you know, there's one person who is not growing in this situation. And that's the person who's giving everything up to support the family. And Mm -hmm. I think that is the story of a lot of Mormon women 
um, as they begin their families. And the church, uh, I think there's a lot of doctrine and lessons in there that promotes self-sacrifice of women. Obviously, I can only speak from my experience as a man, obviously, but but definitely having you know talked with my wife, who is still active in believing, I feel like there's an episode of Friday Night Lights, which is a TV show that I love. Which I love. Yeah. Awesome TV show. But there's an episode that that's basically the whole theme is like, it's just harder for girls. And like, it's all about sort of all, you know, the high school life and sort of like just how it's so much harder. And I feel like that's something that I just was totally blind to like growing up in the church and became aware of more and more in college as I like talking with, with friends who were women and getting married and, and through dating and all that, of just sort of my eyes being open to like, just how much harder, like the simple things in, in the church are when you're a woman and how much you just gets over, like, you just don't ever really realize going through young man lessons and elders corn lessons and, and on and on. Not just in the church, but in society in general, like you said, like, and I'm still learning about that. Like my wife has been a great resource to kind of opening my eyes as, as to how things are different for women versus men, you know, in the church as well as not in the church. So, yeah. And you, and you guys were saying how you weren't very aware of it. I want to point out that I wasn't very aware of it. I totally subscribed to, to patriarchy when I was in Mormonism and I didn't realize how it was hurting me and my relationships. And I think coming out of Mormonism, I see it a lot more clear. And uh, so for instance, I, I was saying like, there was lots of room in my household for my husband and my children to grow. Uh, since leaving now, our house is a space for all of us to grow. And so my kids, my husband, they support a lot more of the housework. I've went back to school. I'm pursuing a, a degree in math education. And I can only do that because my family is willing to give me the space to grow. And I think it's been great for us as a family to pull together more and and for me to step up and be like, I'm going to take control of my growth and, you know, grow with you guys, not just always be the supporter, but grow. We can all grow as a family now. I think it's much more healthier for us. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Rapunzel's story is that like just how much she wants to leave and she has all this motivation to leave but it's fear that keeps her there. And like mother Gothel has that whole song about mother knows best and sort of all, all the things that are scary about the outside world. And, and obviously a lot of the movie then plays off of that song of like, as she confronts those things and she realizes that what she thought was scary is something very different, but I think fear like is as a motivator to like stay within the box in church, I think like was definitely something that I felt. And I think that that's a pretty, like, seems like a more universal sort of feeling of like, the more that I've talked to people is that like, just how much fear sort of motivated everyone's actions in church. And I think obviously that can only, is, is not healthy, but it can only keep you motivated for so long before like you need something more positive. So I relate a lot to that experience of like staying in the tower because 
you're afraid of what's outside the tower. Or as someone recently put it, staying in the boat. Right. Metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And the song Mother Knows Best really reminds me of uh, the priesthood and even more specifically like the high up priesthood, like the apostles and prophets, mm-hmm. like you were saying. Uh, in Mormonism, you do believe that the apostles and prophets know best and that their say is the last say. Um, I mean, they always say that you should get personal revelation that what the prophet told you is true, but they never say that you can get personal revelation that what the prophet taught you was wrong. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's why they thought. Yeah. And so um, you guys as priesthood leaders, uh, you always had the potential to lead and be the one that's right. Yeah. Air quotes on the right. Right. Mm-hmm. But women, I mean, we are constantly being trumped within the church, whether I'm being trumped by my father, who's my priesthood holder, my husband, my bishop, my stake president, or the apostles and prophets in their talks. It's your thoughts as a woman within inside the church are always being trumped by someone who knows better because they have the power of God and you do not. Right. They have the key. Yeah, I have the power of life, but I don't have the power of God. And and they try and say that that makes it equal. Like, oh, you have the power to create life. And so we were given the power of God. And, Mm -hmm. and And you give us kids and we give you the blessings you need. It's not fair if you think about it. Yeah, It's not equal for for sure. There's a word. What is it? Um, have you heard of the term benevolent racism? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's more of a thing. I don't know if it's talked about so much, but it's like taking you as a woman and like putting you up on the pedestal and, oh, mm-hmm. look how, you know, that, that's kind of the lessons that we got in priesthood, I would say, is like, right. they're way better than us and look how amazing and great. And what, what's wrong with that idea? Yeah, I see that is what I bought as a Mormon that because it feels nice to be told how amazing you are as a mother or as a daughter of God. But coming out, you're like, wait, if I was so amazing, how come I never had a say on church things? How come I don't see women leading the church? If we're so amazing, why why aren't we represented? Why aren't we included? included with i think it was like two talks given by females at the last general conference or something you know i don't know there's always a big discrepancy there right where they make a big deal about like a woman gave the prayer Mm -hmm. in general conference and like that's the victory that women are supposed to be happy with yeah and there's three women that lead the that lead the relief society at a high level three women that run the young women's at a high level and three women that run the primary at a high level in comparison to the first presidency, the prophet, the apostles, and how many quorums of 70 do we have now? Mm-hmm. So many. And you've got the presiding bishopric, which is ran by men. I'm all their finances are ran by men. Um, we don't see women representation high up. Right. Even at a ward level, like, you know, as far as like secretaries or clerks, like, you know, that's something that could be done or, you know, I could go so far as to say like bishops and, you know, counselors and stuff, but, you know, even these other ones that aren't the bishop or the bishopric, you know, there are still a lot of other callings that 
can't be for females for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and to the people that argue that women are involved in leadership, I can only speak from my experience and my experience, we've moved around a lot. I've been a part of, uh, ward meetings with the bishopric. I've been in many presidencies, young woman presidencies, primary presidencies, and working with, and, and then relief society and activity committees. So we're working with the bishopric. And my experience in all those callings is you come to the bishop with the plan and then the bishop tells you, you can't do it. I mean, sometimes he lets you do what you want to do, but everything you do has to be approved by him. You know, I had menus for the Relief Society dinner vetoed. I, I would sit with my sisters and we would have prayerful meetings on who to give callings to. We would feel like we felt the spirit and we were all on the same page and we take the name to the Bishop and it would be, it would be vetoed without any thought or prayer. And, and so that was always hard wondering, wow, is his power so much better than mine? Like I just prayed for this for three hours and felt really good about it. Mm -hmm. and, and he thought about it for three seconds. Is he like that much closer to God? Like, what do I have to do to get God to speak to me? Yeah. You know, you grow up hearing and learning that like God is the same yesterday, today and forever, but the experience from ward to ward and stake to stake is so vastly different. Mm -hmm. You know, we lived in Los Angeles for like six, you know, over six years. And we're in one ward for about five years. And on social issues, like that ward was so good. And the bishoprics were so good at sort of like, like meaningful listening to like the, the women in, in ward council and, and all that, you know, like of, um, issues like LGBTQ and diversity. Like it was a very probably unique ward in that, in those senses, but it's still like the structure of the church is such that bishopric meeting has no women in it. And, and so like, you know, when I was, um, and, and we're like executive secretary, it's like, I'm in the meeting every Sunday with the bishopric, but like we'd make decisions in that meeting and then take them to the ward council. And it's just because that's how the church is structured. And so like, even I think in the places where the individual members are really good at these sort of issues and understand we need to hear more voices and it's still like the church isn't structured in a way that it's in the bones of the church yet. Yeah. Yeah. A little while back, you used, you used the word patriarchy mm -hmm. and that can be kind of a, like a buzzword or a word that carries a lot of connotation Emotion. with it. Yeah. I just want, let, like, let's talk about what that word means just for maybe some of our listeners. If, if someone might have an automatic gut emotion for or against that word, like what, or that word being used, you know, let, let, let's define that a little bit, just because I feel like I didn't know what that meant for a long time. Well, I mean, in, in the church, you talk, talk about it being like a patriarchal order, you know, patriarchy in the church is like, well, that's the guy who gives you the patriarchal blessing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. But obviously that means something, you know, I, what you're getting at, Dan, I think is important. Stephanie, do you want to, like, what does that mean to you? So the patriarchy, the patriarchy is a system where men are the leaders of the group. Hey everyone, this is Nick jumping in with a quick little note. Stephanie wanted us to elaborate a little bit and sent us a message about her definition of patriarchy here. 
she said that her issue is when it's men who are solely in power with little to no contribution from women. She says, I think the more power we can give to individuals in general, the more evenly we can grow and the whole group will be better for it. So it's when men are solely in power and aren't listening to other voices. Back to the podcast. Within the church, I think that there are instances and probably the most common instances are where men use that position in the church for unrighteous dominion, to use the Mormon phrase, or, or that that's the potential where it goes bad. I think that there are definitely men who take that responsibility seriously and they do the best that they can to lead righteously. But the, the downside is that it's it, without, without any women sort of having the ear and having a voice of the leadership and, and being in the positions of leadership, that it's just automatically flawed as far as like having equal say. But I think also the flip side of that is that I, I feel like there's a lot of women and this is, correct me if I'm wrong, Okay. But, but it seems like my experience has been that, that there are women who growing up in the church also take part in the patriarchy because that's like how they've been programmed by the church is that like, like it's their responsibility to sort of like be the babysitter of their husbands and like, make sure that you're doing everything you can so that you're worthy of the priesthood and, and like, sort of like their role and the, like they become like an accessory to the patriarchy. Yes. yes. And that was definitely me. I was a huge supporter of the patriarchy. I thought men should be in charge uh, in the beginning, you know, like in the beginning. And if I ever like disagreed with a man, I was like, well, maybe he's just not like following God, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I get what you're saying. I subscribed to, we support the men. I definitely subscribed to that. And I grew up with a dad that wasn't very uh, opinionated or forceful. And I married a husband who's very respectful. And so neither of them really used dominion over me, mm -hmm. which I'm super lucky for that. How, however, I still subscribe to it so much so that I would diminish myself, diminish my wants, diminish my needs to follow them, even though they weren't asking me to follow them. Mm -hmm. uh, waking up to that and, and, you know, deciding that my opinion is just as important as their opinion has been difficult and good for me and my relationships. Uh, I think also they got used to me being submissive or bending over backwards. If, if they're like, I wasn't, I'd always say my opinion, but if we couldn't come to an agreement, I'd always be the one to like, to back down. And it, it's interesting the ways that I've seen how it played out in my life. I, I feel like in the beginning with Rapunzel, she tries to say what she wants and she tries to stand up for herself a lot, like telling mother Gothel that she wants to go out into the world, that she wants to see the lights, that she feels like she's old enough. She feels like she's responsible enough. But Mother Gothel keeps cutting her down, making her second guess herself. I feel like I was the one doing that to myself. Like if, if there was any pushback or disagreeance, I would just quiet down. And you see Rapunzel do that a lot. Like she tries and then Mother Gothel cuts her and she like pulls back and waits, tries to like get her in a good mood before she tries again. I, I just wanted to share a few small things that 
I would do. So like my husband always led us whenever we were on an outing, he was always the leader. And, and when we left the church and we started to realize that he played this leader role and I play the submissive role, we try and flip the roles. And so one time we went on a bike ride and Mm -hmm. I went left where my husband always goes straight. And he's like, you missed the turn. (laughs) And I was like, no, this is the street. I always go down when I'm not with you. If it's just me or me and the kids, I always go down this street. He's like, this street's so much longer. I'm like, yeah, but it has shade and it's prettier and I like it better. And that was an interesting experience for both of us, for me to say, I like it this way. And I've never shown it to you because I just let you lead. And an interesting experience for him to be like, you know, it's not always about getting there the fastest. Like, I do like this road. I do think it's pretty and shaded and it, and we can spare a minute to enjoy our ride a little more. We just have experiences like that. And we have like an hour between when our kids go to bed and when we go to bed and we take turns planning what we're going to do. And that's been hard for me because I've always just done whatever John wants to do. And I have to Mm -hmm. think about like, what do I even want to do? What do I like? And like, remember who I was before I got consumed in this, in this, uh, system. And it's been really good for me to like, find myself, find what I enjoy and what I like. And, and it's, it's just crazy because like I said, he never asked me to follow him. I, I just believed in the patriarchy that much. It's been, it's been fun to find myself again. Yeah. Mother Gothel is such a manipulator. Like every single line that she says to Rapunzel, it made me so mad when I was watching that movie. Yeah. It was, it was definitely hard. She's a classic narcissist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And gaslighter. Yes. This movie's got to be especially sort of triggering for anyone who had like a mother who was very critical, like, like Rapunzel, I don't know how she puts up with, with all those comments. Like, I mean, from like, from like her appearance to her, like intelligence to like Mother Gothel is just sort of, and obviously we learn, we, we know from the beginning that like why she's doing all that, because yeah. she gets what she wants out of having Rapunzel close if mother Gothel had been nice and supportive and like helpful and put Rapunzel first, she would have been able to keep her forever because they would have had a healthy relationship and Rapunzel would have stayed around probably like maybe she would have left the tower and gone out and had her own life too. But like the relationship in the end probably would have been so much stronger that mother Gothel would have also been able to like keep her youth by -hmm. having Rapunzel actually be her daughter that she loved And it's just, you know, instead she chooses to manipulate and gaslight her into staying and loses her because of that. And I feel like that in itself, I think, is a metaphor for my experience in the church is that like, I feel like the the church is so afraid of losing members that like they hide all the secrets and they they put away all the things that are going to maybe cause you issues. And then they, they keep you fearful and in the tower. And it's like, if you had just been like honest from the beginning, Oh, so much more of this would have gone over better. And in their defense, I think that there have been some good changes made. Right. Yeah. Recently, but that doesn't undo what has been done. I agree. There is a lot of gaslighting when uh, you try to leave about like, where will you go? What will you do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think 
mother Gotham even says that in one of her songs, like, where will you go? And I'm like, wow, that's like an exact <laughs> line that was used right, on yeah. me. I'll put that in the episode description. I'll link the, the talk. <laughs> I think it's Elder Ballard that said that one. Uh, one quote that Mother Gothel says when Punzel asks about leaving is the outside world is a dangerous place full of horrible, selfish people. And I think that was crazy because who was the most horrible, selfish person in the world at that moment? Yep. Mother Gothel. Yep. And and so I, I think that's difficult too, is they say like, there's there's no happiness out there, but that's, that's just a lie, but there's no happiness out there. There's many ways to find happiness. And I think that's one of the things I have a really hard time with the church is they say that they're the one and only way for happiness. And I just don't think that's true. I think a lot of people do find happiness in the church. I found a lot of happiness in it for some of the years that I was in there, but I don't think it's happy for everyone. And when my husband left, I realized quickly that there is not a lot of support within the church for mixed faith marriages, mixed faith families. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that too, leaving the church. I, I think it's a perfect metaphor with the tower. Like the world is so big <laughs> and cool and there are so many enriching relationships and perspectives that I've been able to gain just by being more open to different ideas than I was before in, with like colleagues and friends and coworkers and things. And, um, well, what I love along those lines is that like once Rapunzel does leave the tower and gets to meet all these, these other people and have these experiences that like the, you know, we directly see that like these scary people that her mother was telling her about, like have a much richer story than just they're ugly and scary and so like when she goes to the the like bar and meets all these guys and then they're like i have dreams too and like we get mm -hmm. to see that like oh there's a lot more to these people than the surface and i feel like i i just feel like that sort of experience of like getting to know people that maybe i wouldn't have been like as interested in getting to know as a believing member like or the experiences that i am more interested in having that i wouldn't have before I feel like it just like is leads to a more full life and the experiences of life are, are just, you know, much better for breaking out of your shell and sort of going. And I feel like, you know, there are lots of members of the church who, who are able to do that as a believing member, but I feel like that's, that's not sort of the default of, of the church. And I think it's very presumptuous going back to what you said, Stephanie, um, about the church saying that, only true joy, you know, you can only be truly happy if you're living the gospel. Right. And like how offensive that would be to all of these other people. Like you can't say that these other people aren't, you know, happy or joyful or I don't know. It's just something that I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to think that anymore because there was a time when I thought that it's like, Oh, you know, they, they look like they're having a good time, but you know, they're not truly happy because you know, right. only, only I know how to do that. And I just think that I'm glad that I don't think that way anymore. Yeah. I think you guys both make good points. Dan, you were talking about the tower and um, I, the, if the tower was Mormonism, I will agree that 
it it could keep you safe. I think it kept me pretty safe, pretty sure. young, uh, because I followed all the rules. And so I had a lot of opportunity opened up, opened up to me just because, you know, I, I had stayed safe through my teenage and young adult years, but that safety comes at a cost and your cost is freedom. And that's Rapunzel's cost as well. She's safe in that tower. That's true. And there are scary things in the world. And, you know, Mother Gothel later in the movie creates a scary thing to coerce her back into the tower. But the truth is, is that something really scary could have happened to her that the tower would have kept her safe from. But also, that's the cost of freedom, right? And on the other hand, had she been able to leave the tower sooner she would have had better coping skills and known better how to interact with people. Cause when she leaves, she's, she's a weirdie, you know, she doesn't know how to behave around, you know, this, the society and, you know, had, had that been something that she knew how to deal or cope with, you know, that those are skills that she would have had to protect her. And I love the scene when she leaves the tower and she's like, I can't believe I did this. (laughs) And then she's like, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> but my mom no won't kill her. This Who's is gonna, gonna kill her. Kill I'm such a terrible her. person, you know, going back and forth. I'm I've gotta go back. I'm never <laughs> going back. And I feel like, man, that is like your faith transition yeah. right there. When you're like ready to leave, but you keep getting triggered. Yeah. And you're like, no yoing back and mm-hmm. forth. I, I went through that phase. Um, my husband didn't go through that phase. My husband went from all in to all out. I don't know how he did mm-hmm. it, but I definitely went through the yo-yo phase. Uh, yeah, it's not fun. I love that. <laughs> right. It made me laugh so hard because in retrospect, I'm like, that was me. Mm-hmm. That was me. And I love Flynn Rider in the background just and watching her. That was my husband. <laughs> my husband's like, oh, she'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then, um, Nick, when you were talking about the bar, which is the snuggly duckling, mm-hmm. I love how they made them look so intimidating because that's how I felt going, coming out of the world. I was like, I felt like I'd lost a lot of my Mormon community, but I also was like looking at people that weren't Mormon and was honestly a little terrified <laughs> of these people. Right. Um, I had a similar experience, like just getting to know people and then like being like, oh, there are different people and differences don't mean bad, um, it, which is obviously something I knew. I just, obvi- I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I th- yeah, I think that like, obviously, you know, in the church, everyone's a child of God. But mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like sometimes we say that, but then we're like, but some people are more child of God than other people. <laughs> <laughs> and like that, like there's certain people that it's like, they're a child of God, but like, they've got really rough edges. And like, just because they're a child of God doesn't mean that I need to love them. But I feel like a lot of that, like once, uh, you know, you sort of leave the tower of the church that I feel like, and I feel like that is a good metaphor because like the tower so high and feel like your view of the world is a little skewed, like, because you're, you're seeing it from a perspective that's like, you're not getting down into the details of, of what's down there, you know, like, Rapunzel doesn't even know, like, what the lights are 
from her point of view, she just knows that these lights appear. And like, I had that experience of like, I, I appreciated other people and their, in the diversity of their experience and their differences, but uh, from a distance. And that like, my default was just like the Mormon community. And that's, you know, that's every, so much time was spent at church every week that it's like, I just didn't have time to make friends with other people. And then you go to BYU and everyone is, you know, Mormon or, and obviously that was just, that's my experience, but like, it wasn't until I got to LA and like was in my master's program and like starting to get to know people who were very different from me that like, I started to like finally open up and be like, okay, I like want to bring in all these other experiences. And I'm so grateful that like I had had that opportunity. And to be fair, um, I don't think that that's found in the doctrines of the church. You know, I think that's definitely more of a a culture thing. And I think that the, the brethren would, you know, the, the apostles and all the church leaders would agree that, you know, everybody has equal worth and, you know, the culture is so strong. It's hard to ignore that. I was going to say, you said you went out to LA and were able to have those experiences. From my perspective, uh, I grew up in a Mormon community. And as soon as I graduated high school, I went to BYU and BYU-Idaho. And then at at BYU-Idaho, I got married and we had children right away. So as a mother, my only social experiences were on Sunday at church or at ward activities. So for me, I never really had that experience to broaden my community past a group of Mormons. I didn't realize till I left how I had put all my eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. I feel like the church is really good at keeping people busy. Yeah. Which, which, you know, has pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. I think one of the things that I miss most about the church is that like, there was always opportunities to help other people. Like, I feel like serving other people was always easy in the church. And I feel like that has become harder, but they weren't always the most genuine sort of service opportunities either. That was the busyness that I miss, I guess. Well, and some other things I miss from the church is community. Mm -hmm. I think they do community really well. They also gave me a calling. So I always had like a, a leadership role. When I came out of the church and I realized that I wouldn't have that calling anymore, I wouldn't have my community anymore, I wouldn't have those service opportunities like you were talking about, Nick, I just realized this is just forcing me to be more proactive because these things aren't going to be given to me. Um, and I'm glad that the church gave those to me in my formative years. Uh, I'm grateful for those opportunities to lead and have a strong community and service opportunities. And so now I'm, I'm being proactive about that. I'm building my own community. I'm going back to be a math teacher. So I'll be able to work with the youth in my own way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Taking control just like Rapunzel. Yeah. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and I think what Nick's talking about is like, when her hair gets cut, she loses her power, right? But then she is also freed from the power that was holding her in that mm-hmm. tower. Um, so I think coming out of the church can be intimidating, can be scary, but it's also an opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest points I wanted to make about this movie is that I feel like a lot of the end of this movie is like Rapunzel sort of like finding her own identity. 
and realizing that like, oh, it was there all along. Like it just, it got obscured. Mother Gothel was, was abusing her and like wanted the power for herself. You know, kind of that cliche line of the power was in her all along. That really reminds me of Elsa in Frozen 2 when she goes to the place, um, you know, where she hears the singing voice, which I think this was like kind of meaningful for, for me to do, like connecting it to me leaving the church. But like, she's looking for this thing and she's like, I don't know what this thing is, but I need to find it. I know there's something out there. I know there's something that's like going to give me meaning. And she's looking, looking, looking for it. And she finally gets to the iceberg or wherever it is. And she goes down and then she finds out like, there's a line in that song, like you are the one you've been waiting for all of your life. And that was so like powerful and meaningful to me that like my value, my power, like that's from me, like, and like other, other people have talked about this leaving the church, but like all those times that like, I felt revelation or I thought I felt the prompting to do good. Like that was coming from me, you know, and how empowering that is. And I, I kind of see that too about, you know, her being liberated from her hair and just being able to now she's who she is and she can give her life the meaning that she wants it. Right. And before then, like mother Gothel is like the one who's giving her meaning and purpose in life yeah. is like, you're only, as good as like, I say you are. Yeah. I think along those same lines, Dan, that like in this movie, Rapunzel is like, like her journey is like, I, I just want to go see these lights. Like, I just want to know what they are. And so like that sort of her goal is like to find them. And then by finding them, she realizes how cool and expansive this world is. And she's like, I, and, and originally she's like, I just want to go see them and be back in time to like make it back to the tower before mom gets back. And then by the time she sees the lights, it's like, I don't want to go back anymore because I like what's out here too much. And she ends up being dragged back. And, but now, like now that she's back where she began, like she can't be satisfied anymore in that place. And I feel like, like she's just, she can't be satisfied in that tower anymore. And I feel like I definitely had that experience of like, and, and especially like, I think being in a mixed faith relationship that like you're brought back to that tower a lot. And it isn't necessarily a place that like, I don't want to be back in the tower anymore, but like, I have to be in the tower this week Mm -hmm. for a little bit. And I, and I feel like it just makes it really difficult to feel like satisfied or once you feel like there's a lot more outside this tower that I would, I see more value in. And so I think that like Rapunzel's story is really like fully actualized and realized at the end when it's like, she's back where she started, but it isn't good enough anymore. And so now she has to break out of this tower and like and then like she realizes what she has to do and I feel like if we never went back to the tower like and if Rapunzel just like realized hey I really like it out here I'm gonna stay here the movie wouldn't work as well but it's just you know she has to go through that difficulty of like being a new person and going back to the tower and realizing is not what I want anymore the people who decide I'm gonna be like physically in but mentally out I just uh you know like more power to you I can't understand the motivation to keep doing that though maybe if rapunzel had a baby in the tower that wasn't ready to leave mm, right then that would change mm-hmm. the story <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah i think we'd have to add some qualifiers there to staying in that tower 
Yeah. Or a grandmother who's too feeble. I think there are a lot of reasons that people fit stay in physically, even though they're mentally out. And I, I have a lot of respect for that just because I think that would be a difficult situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rapunzel was abducted as a baby. That's the only life she knew. I was born into this religion. It's the only thing I knew. It's the only thing my parents knew. I feel like we all did the best with what we knew. I'm proud of what I did with Inside Mormonism. Uh, Coming out, I did have some frustration. Uh, I did feel robbed a bit, but once I was able to process those feelings, and, you know, I'm still processing some of them, but uh, I come to the conclusion that like, it, all we can do is move forward and be proud of what we did with what we had and learn from what we aren't proud of and move forward. And I think there's so much empowerment from moving forward from what you know and, and still honoring your past. Uh, and I think it's a difficult spot to get to, but you know, if anyone found themselves in that situation, that would be my advice. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Into the Woods, um, you know, the mm-hmm. musical, which, you know, Disney later made, which also has Rapunzel in it. But there's a song talking about like people make mistakes, your parents make mistakes and like you need to honor those mistakes. And I'm not like calling out <laughs> anybody, you know, in my life or anything, but I'm just saying like, I completely agree with what you just said about, you know, it was an experience and I learned a lot and I have a lot of good relationships with people that are still in the church. Mm -hmm. And there's a a lot of good that I got from the church. And so I have to, you know, respect and honor that. And that's part of who I am. Um, Do you have any other specific points, Stephanie, that you wanted to go over? Yeah. Anything we haven't hit on that you wanted to? No, thanks for letting me talk as much as I did. I really enjoyed this movie. I related to it a lot with my experience and it's it's therapeutic for me to watch and I enjoyed sharing my thoughts about it. I enjoyed listening to your guys' thoughts as well. I really enjoy your podcast. I think it's well done and it's nice to use movies to talk about our feelings because it's easier for people to relate to our experience through a platform that's less threatening. Agree and appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. It was great to have you on. Um, Really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. Thanks for picking the movie for this episode. Um, I think it was a good one. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Again, you can find Stephanie and her channel, My Great and Spacious World on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll put all the links in our episode description. And thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie. It was great to get to know you. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Postmormon at the Movies is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time.